This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 26. This is Writing Excuses Q&A on scenes and description. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. And I'm Dan. And we have questions. Starting off with a question from Pixie. I recently got feedback, show don't tell, from a publisher in regard to describing a character's internal thoughts while moving through a scene. How can I show these sorts of things? Good question. We talked about show versus tell quite a bit, but it can be harder when you're having the character think about stuff. Yeah, with internal thoughts, I find that giving the scene context so that they're doing something while thinking Mm -hmm. gives me an opportunity to... You know, if they're frustrated, they're going to start doing a little more roughly. If they're happy, they might start singing while they do it. Little things like this that can add some flavor and some emotion. Yeah, a lot of times for me, it's uh, the physical reactions of the character. Um, Sometimes if they're saying, uh, show, don't tell in this context, and it's hard to say without actually seeing the thing, but it it might be that what you have is, um, I feel really angry about this thing. Whereas what you want to do is have more of a, a, an internal more thought process. A, how, how dare, dare he? he? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Two on the nose can be a big problem with this. So I've used this example before, the walking into the messy kitchen example, where, you know, I can talk about my mood and say that, you know, I'm really grumpy, I'm really exhausted, or I'm really enthusiastic. If I walk into the kitchen and... And suddenly, you know, the, the, my, the point of view character's description of the kitchen, you know, it's a wreck, there's things piled everywhere, you can't find a thing, versus uh, the kitchen needs a good cleaning and, you know, picks up a dish and gets started. Those are two different mental states. I'd, but yeah, like you said, without knowing, without seeing the passage in question, I don't know what the fix is. You know, um, one other piece of advice on this that Harriet um, McDougall gave me, the editor of the Wheel of Time books. Just cut more here than you think you need to. Hmm. Um, if you're spending a lot of time in what we call navel-gazing, which I tend to do. I'm, I'm an egregious navel-gazer. This is one of those places where you often can get away with three paragraphs where you had seven. They get across the same concept. Yeah, I have a, uh, I have a, a cutting technique that mm-hmm. I will give to my students. So there's the 10% solution. Right which is that you cut 10%. Yep. Um, the other one, if you have a big chunk, which is all navel-gazy or, or a big chunk of exposition, and this is, don't do this every single time for, mm-hmm. the, for the love of whatever you hold holy, but, but it's a useful one, is um, to look through, go through and identify the core concepts that you have to convey, and then you are allowed no more than that number of sentences. There you are. All right. Um, Evan asks, when introducing a new POV character, how can you describe their appearance through their own POV in a way that doesn't feel forced? This is a classic question because um, one of the cliches of writing is that the person looks at themselves in the mirror and describes themselves. And you will find examples of this in all kinds of books. You can probably find examples of it in our books because it is so easy, (laughs) but it's become a cliche for that very reason. Um, any hints, tips um, for Evan on how to do this? The, the thing is that when, we're t- when you think about yourself, you're always comparing yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. 
So that's a very easy way to do mm. that. Um, you know, looking at someone else and going, uh, oh, I, I wish I were that, that slender or mm. um, good heavens if I had shoulders like that. Um, so you can, you can do a little bit of defining the opposite. The, the, the tr- catch is that our perceptions of ourselves are not particularly accurate. I actually think that it's totally okay to do things like she pushed her red hair back from her face. Yeah. You kind of have to do that sometimes. Just slip them in here and there. Um, one of a recent experience I had, I can just show you one thing that I ended up doing is I wrote a short story, Perfect State, where the main character has a very regal beard. He's, you know, epic fantasy emperor with a nice beard. And people kept in the alpha reads not being able to imagine him with a beard. So I'm like, I need to get this in earlier. The sooner the better, because if I don't stick it in early, they're going to form an image of, of the head. So I gave him the ability to look over. He was doing paperwork to approve the royal portrait. And it's basically looking at yourself in the mirror. Yep. But all I did, I didn't describe anything else. I just said, they got the beard wrong. And he made notes <laughs> about they got the beard wrong. And so rather than sit and describe himself, I was able to be like, this guy's got a beard. That was the whole purpose of that scene. And the look in the mirror to say, ah, you know, you know, my, my, the kids sat on my glasses and now they're skawumpus. To just say, this person wears glasses might be what you're looking for. Uh, the flip side of that is that when we read fiction, uh, as readers, part of what we do is put ourselves into these characters. You know, we, we see ourselves as these people. And the more specific you get with the description, the more likely you are to push some readers out of that. Mm. And so I, I like leaving some things open so that... You can just yeah, it says well, the guy who draws pictures. Le- of a leaving, lot of yeah, I was gonna say. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking open. about the comic, but in now going on five books, I've never once ever described what John Cleaver looks like. Mm. Yeah, there's one line in one of the books that says he has dark hair, and that's it. And that's only when he's talking about how he looks different from his sister, who mm-hmm. is blonde. There you go. You don't even really need it. Um. Can you explain the difference between scene and setting, Daniel asks. Yes, I do. Yes, you do? Daniel. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have never in my life called you Daniel. Yeah, I was like, who? Who? <laughs> Daniel? Um, can we describe the difference between scene and setting? Uh, the way that we will usually use these, setting is the, the scenic location. It is mm-hmm. the... the the physical environment that the place takes, that, that the action takes place in. A scene is an artificial construction designed to contain the plot. Yeah, the beginning, middle, and end of a certain, you know, mm-hmm. and that's scene. Imagine that, you know, with the, the director. Okay, that's yeah. a scene. Yeah. That's what we mean by scene, where setting is, all right, bring the people in here to build our setting. Let's go ahead and do our book of the week. Dan, you are going to tell us about Perfume. Yes, Perfume by uh, Patrick Suskind. Uh, He's a German writer. This has been translated into English. It's a brilliant translation. Uh, It is a historical fiction story about a man born with no emotions whatsoever and a superhuman sense of smell. And he lives in France in the late Renaissance and becomes the apprentice of a perfume maker 
and learns how to extract scent from things. And so he decides he wants to create the scent of perfect beauty, which of course requires him to go and track down beautiful women and kill them and steal their smell. It is gorgeously written. I cannot overstate this enough. Reading this book is the only time it has ever happened to me. And while reading it happened at least 20 times when I could actually physically smell what he was describing because he describes it so well. So, you want to learn about scenes and descriptions, read Perfume by Patrick Suskind, uh, which is read by Sean Barrett. And you can get a free copy of it on audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Get a 30-day free trial, and uh, you'll thank me. It's a wonderful story. Listen to the smell. Yes. <laughs> you listen to the smell. And the reader, Sean Barrett, is incredible. It is, he's, he's one of the best... Uh, narrators that I have heard an audiobook from. How, um, how graphic is the content? The violence is not bad. Mm-hmm. I do not recommend that you watch the movie version if you uh, aren't into, uh, into R-rated content, but I don't remember the book okay. being particularly over the top. This is, however, a recommendation coming to you from a man who writes about serial killers for a living, so yeah. keep that in yeah. mind. All right, let's, let's go to new questions. Um, how does your environment affect your writing? Could writing in different places change the tone of your scenes? Oh, yes. Yes. I love this for scene as a question. It's our scene, the yes. scene that we are in. <laughs> yeah, you both said yes. Talk to me, Howard. Um, when, I am, when I'm working on the comic, uh, I, I need a very controlled environment, you know, in my studio, uh, with all my all my pieces there when i'm writing stuff for the uh the role playing game um i need the laptop i need to get out of my office i need mm. to uh i need to be looking at other things and i think that's because the the world of the comic is taking shape on the table in front of me and i'm fine with that but when i'm just writing things with words i need the input of light and sound and smell and whatever else. Also, the Mexican restaurant down the road has a table just for me between two and five, <laughs> and they will bring me ceviche and Diet Coke without me even asking. And so if the Planet Mercenary game feels like Mexican food, there's a reason. <laughs> I'm going to expect. It's had a lot spilled on us it. Us all to get Mexican food with our, with our orders. That yep. should be our next Kickstarter goal. Mary, you were saying? <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm sorry. Ceviche shipped through the mail. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so I have a really difficult time writing if there's um, conversation happening around mm-hmm. me, unless there's me so much of it that it turns into white noise. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I actually find, I had to train myself because I, I started writing when I was a touring puppeteer in mm. a lot of ways. Um, so I had to train myself to be able to write in any environment. What affects me more than the, 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 than the, uh, the location, like, you know, I can, I can write anywhere, but the location that I'm in, uh, those details will creep in. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, like, um, if, uh, if there's a persistent rattle someplace, Mm -hmm that will wind up creeping into the story. Maybe not right in that moment, but later. Um, uh, Big open expanses, I am much more likely to write 
a scene that has a view. Okay. Um, cool. It, and it's sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's not. I use music a lot too. Yeah, I yeah, usually the music use doesn't music. work for me. Um, for me, I can write basically anywhere, and it doesn't affect me unless I have auditory interference, noise mm. pollution. Yeah. Um, so if I have music. I can cancel that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the big thing that changes the way I write is the tool that I'm writing with. Mm. Um, but that is not the question that he asked. <laughs> Let's go on to the next question. That one was from Andy, by the way. And um, Joe asks, how do I paint an evocative fantasy landscape quickly, as in a short story? Now, we've just done a bunch on description, so hopefully that'll be useful to you. But I wanted to ask this question because fantasy, uh, you do see less Epic fantasy and other world fantasy done as short fiction. Um, and I think people are intimidated by this idea that fantasy is the quote unquote, whether it's true or not, world building is such a big part of epic fantasy. And you don't feel like you can do that in a short form. Is that a fallacy or is that true? Oh, that's completely not true. Um, there's, a, there's a great anthology. Called, there are two great anthologies. One is called 20 Epics, mm-hmm. uh, which is all short fiction epics. And then the other is an anthology called Epic, mm-hmm. edited by John Joseph Adams, that is all short epic fiction. And I'm in that. Yes, as am I. So um, as, as our token short story writer, <laughs> um, the, the way you handle that kind of scenic description is basically the way you're handling everything else in a short story, which is that you do a lot of suggestion. And the the small telling detail that does double duty is going to serve you well. Um, Like if I, if I mention, um, you, you can create a sense of grandeur with things like, um, uh, the the flag that he won at the battle of the the, mm. the nine red armies. Right. Suddenly, you've got an epic past to this character. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, but and now he's using it as a dish rag. Yeah. Suddenly, you've got even more context. Yes. Yeah. And and it, it you don't need a lot, but but the key is to be really specific mm-hmm. about those details that you put in, so that it feels like there is a world around them, and and also if you can use a detail more than once, it mm. will feel like it is integrated as opposed to being a one-off. You know, the more I've approached writing epic fantasy short fiction, and granted, I don't do it very short, um, I found that the, the problem is not the description. Mm-mm. You can totally set a scene quickly. I think of the, the opening scene from Name of the Wind, which is in third person um, before we get to the, it's, you know, the frame story. It's, it's short. It's probably like 2,000, 3,000 words gives a whole sense of multiple characters, an entire mm-hmm. world, a beginning, middle, and end could be published as a short story on its own. Um, and, and Pat does that in 3,000 words. And yes, it's part of a 400,000-word book. But the fact that that can be done, the fact that George R. R. Martin, any one of his chapters, you can grab him and he's setting things so quickly, he says, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's totally viable. To, just to rip the rug out from under this whole mm-hmm. fallacy uh, in most of the, you know, the common uh, Western European style fantasy, our settings are things that you can go look at in a museum or on right. a field trip uh, that people have already seen and have experience with. Why would, be tell- why would telling a science fiction short story with spaceships and robots and laser guns that people have never seen, why would that be easier? Um, I think that the uh, assumption is that 
you can say spaceship and people know what it means. But you say, you know, Sandmaster from fantasy and people don't know what that means. But if you um, say but castle. You, you know, you say castle. It's, it's, it is a fallacy. I totally think that it is. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, but I think part of what he's also talking about mm. is that it, genre expectations, yeah. we expect yes. more lush description mm -hmm. yeah. with, I, with I fantasy. There, there is that. Maybe one of the ways, you know, we talked a lot about how, yes, it's totally possible. How do we actually do it? I would recommend, for starters, don't take anything for granted. Don't mm. just rely on your assumptions for what this world is going to look like so that when I say castle, I know that my readers are going to see the same castle that I am. Don't rely on that and make sure that you yeah. give a sense of place, that you know what these things look like and what they're used for so that you can describe them properly in context. You know, the fact that people like Eric James Stone can write, and I've read them from him, epic fantasy flash fiction under 250 words mm -hmm. says to me that, yeah, anyway... Um, this is totally doable, but you are going to have to practice um, and, and see what types, read some of them, see what types you like, um, see how they're doing it that works for you. Uh, it is an excellent question, Joe, because for years I kind of struggled with the same concept. Um, we are out of time, and so I am going to give you some homework. And what I want you to do, we're going to be moving into talking about the middle of your book next, or your story that you're working on. And I want you to go and describe to a friend why the middle of your book is going to be awesome. Now, you can't talk very much about the beginning or the ending. This is why is the middle. What's going to happen in the middle that is going to make people excited to read your book? Um, and now we had some um, homework um, previously where you're going to identify scenes that were coming up that you're going to be working on. Describe those. Describe those to your friend in a way that's going to make them excited to read your book. If you've done this right, you'll also make yourself excited about yes. writing them. <laughs> In fact, I'd argue that if that doesn't happen, then you, need you may to have a problem. Some things. This has been Write Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.